So we're continuing on in our study of Philippians. If you have your notebook, you can take notes there. Like I said, in U version, it should be there. Um, I think Jeff saw fit to that before he left for uh, the Midwest, that uh, that should be there. But we're, we're, we're working our way through Philippians. And today's scripture that he has me teaching on um, really is deeply connected to what he taught on last week. Um, one of the things about my dad, and then I learned that from him, is, is sometimes when we're, we're trying to teach something, like in our family environment, there's kind of this very long preamble or teaching or kind of like building of the case. And then once that's understood, of like, this, you know what we're talking about, son? Yes, dad, right? Then therefore, right? So, so there's, a, there's a significant time that's spent kind of stating the case and building the, um, you know, the teaching environment, and then we move into application. It's like, this is why, son, I taught you all of this, so that, and then you remember. Got it. That's what's really taking place here. So where we're going to pick up is from last week, would have been like Paul is our father, kind of like just walking us through this fact, or this curriculum, if you will, teaching us this, this element of, of um, what we're going to talk about. And then today's the application of what he talked about last week. Um, so what Paul is talking about here in chapter 2 is uh, making the case for a life of humility and unity. That's what we talked about last week. Right? You remember when Jeff talked about that, he, there was about like the first four verses talked about that, and then he examined this hymn or this song that was probably popular at the time that Paul copied and put in there because the song emphasized what, he, what Paul had just written. Right? So that was kind of last week. And it had pretty much two or three themes, right? That our mindset, our like-mindedness would be about unity and humility, and Jesus was a supreme example of that, right? So that's what we talked about last week. That's what Paul would have been writing in the letter till he gets to this point. And then he says this, therefore, right, therefore. Anytime, right, that you're reading in the Word and you get to the therefore or the since then or anything that sounds like an if-then kind of a statement, you stop and you remember, like, what, what's the context? What is he talking about? Okay, so that's what it's there for. And now what is he saying, right? So he starts this next section with this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right? So there's a few things going on in here. First of all, um, he's about to kind of bring some correction, but he's doing that with a pastoral or loving heart. Because the way he starts this next section is, my dear friends, right? He's, he's showing love for them. He's showing empathy. Um, but he's showing the heart of a pastor as he's starting to put in the application to what he had just written. And then in addition to that, he's kind of, he's giving them some encouragement. He's like saying, hey, you, so far you've obeyed what I've taught you. You obeyed it when I was with you. And even now, when I'm not, you're still obeying it. Like, way to go. Great job. Right? And he's encouraging them in love. But then he gets to this next point. He says to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And if you read that on the surface, that could seem like you are to work for your salvation. Like you could possibly do something to earn it. And that is totally not what it says. And that is not even what Paul would say. The reality is, is what he's saying here is to continue to work to, to work it out. Not for, but work it out as an outworking of what's going on inside. And we'll see that. That it's an outworking 
of your salvation. You're not trying to earn it. You're not trying to work for it or make yourself in any better stance to receive something. We are working it out, working out our salvation, putting it into practice. And the reality is with fear and trembling is another way Paul could just say with deep humility. Because that's what he was just talking about. That in deep humility, continue to work out, to live out the salvation that God has given you. And so that's what he's stating here. As he moves from the, the teaching element to now this application part. He's reminding him of what he had just written. And that's his, that's his intro. You know, earlier um, in, in his writing, in a couple weeks ago, um, verse 127, he had already written this. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Right? So he's keeping that theme. He's using different words to say the same thing. But, but as we live, we continue to conduct our lives in a worthy, worthy manner, in a manner that's in step with the salvation that God has given us, that we live it out. Right? And two, a couple weeks ago, Jeff um, walked us through that. But the reality is that we're living out the salvation and the message of the gospel of Christ. And it was interesting this week as I was studying for this, um, and I'm doing on Wednesday night the Colossians class, and there's some of the things in Philippians and Colossians that are um, they're almost the same. And so I'm, I'm, I'm prepping for this sermon. I'm like, wait, wait, was that Wednesday night or is that Sunday? Like, it was just like, because in, in um, Colossians, um, he actually says in chapter 1, to live a life worthy of the gospel and worthy of the Lord by bearing fruit, by growing in the knowledge, by giving thanks, and by being strengthened by God. So this is a key theme of Paul that we continue to live out. To live out the realities of the gospel. And so that's what he's saying here. He's starting off this this encouragement and soon to be challenged by reminding them that there is a lifestyle, there is a reality of how we live that we are supposed to be reflecting the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the same thing Paul would have taught them when he was in their presence. He's reminding them, now that I'm gone, remember what I taught you and keep doing it. And he moves into this. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Right? So what he's saying is God is working in your life. God takes the initiative. It all comes from him. It's empowered by him. It's strengthened by him. It's given graciously by him. And now that you've received this, work it out. It would be, it'd kind of be like if I, um, if I were to give everybody here a free lifetime um, membership to a local gym. There you go. So just because you have that free membership that you couldn't have earned, you couldn't have done anything nicer to me to give it to you, I just did it out of the kindness of my heart. But just by having that free pass, if you will, doesn't make you cardio fit, doesn't make you, um, you know, buffed and all the things you would do at the gym, right? And go, um, you know, do stretching, do less workout. You have to what? Go and you have to put into practice. You have to go and work it out. So what God is working in us, there's the expectation and the challenge for us to work that out, to put it into practice, to grow in that, to live that out. And then he says this, in order to fulfill his good purpose, right? Our, our living out the truths of the gospel are meant to glorify God and for his benefit. 
But the reality of the God that we worship is that he is a loving God and he shares. So as he benefits and it's his good pleasure, his heart is to share that with his family. And so not that it's really self-serving really for him or for us. It's the reality of the graciousness of God that as we continue to be a bear of, bear the light of the gospel and to grow in him, we kind of get a, a, a kickback, if you will. Because God loves to give good gifts to his children. And so the more and more that he grows and he's glorified and he's made known, he shares, he shares. He shares that with the son and then we become co-heirs with Christ. But it ultimately is for his good purpose, but in his generosity, his graciousness, he shares. And so he's saying, hey, this humility and this like-mindedness and this unity, continue to live that out even when I'm not with you. And grow in that and work that out so that it brings blessing to me. In a similar way in Colossians, um, Paul writes this. He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And he's saying the same thing. I love that. Like, he so powerfully works in us by the power of the Spirit. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead is working in us. And God's working that in us so that then we can work out or we can live out the power of what God is doing in our lives. We can then live that out. And that's what he's stating. That we do this. That we live this out, but it's to be characterized by humility and unity. And that's what he's been stressing. Because now what's about to come next is going to get to the core, the one core root issue of the church in Philippi that he actually needed to correct. And, and, and when, I, when I flip the slide, you may think, oh, that's so trivial. But wait, there's more. Do everything, everything, without grumbling or arguing. Everything. We don't get a little subset list of exceptions to the rule. Everything. Without grumbling or arguing. And you're thinking like, really? That's so significant? Like, this is sin. This is the same sin that were, the Israelites were guilty of in the desert when they were wandering around. They were, hum, they were grumbling and arguing against Moses to each other and ultimately to God, and it cost them. Grumbling and arguing? Like, it's not even murder or adultery. Like, some of those are like really bad things. And he's saying, no, this is just as bad. This doesn't bring unity. This doesn't bring cohesion in the community. This is not born out of humility. And people see it. And I'll be honest with you, when I was working through this, I, I knew the scripture that Jeff had for me for this week, um, last week as well. But um, when I got to Wednesday, working on this, Wednesday wasn't such a good day. You see, when I 
was working on this and I got to this scripture, I had to spend some honest time with God. You see, you may not know this, but um, where I work, um, the last two years have been very difficult, and I've been guilty of this. And at my work, right? <laughs> not here. Um, but I, I, I got to this, and I, and I had to spend some honest time before God in humility and shame and tears. I didn't need to, I didn't feel like I had anybody that I had specifically to go to, but it was to God, and it was a, a chunk of time of regretful remorse that we had Wednesday afternoon. Because there's been a couple times in the last two years in my work environment where I've grumbled and argued. Yeah, it was rough. Yeah, we go through difficult times. We suffer in different ways. But in the midst of our suffering, like Paul is talking about here, when he was in jail, he did that without this. Remember the Philippian church was born because while they were in jail, they were singing hymns and praises. And I had a rough work environment, and I was less than praising. And furthermore, I've had a chance to meet with and sit with people who actually bore the brunt of some of this grumbling and arguing that was vented towards them. And they're still dealing with it because it brings real pain. And I'm probably not the only person in this room that's dealt with this. I'm not the only person who's no longer in this room that dealt with this. But Paul's saying, do everything without grumbling and arguing. It's so insignificant. Like, really? I mean, it, it was a prayer request. It was a conversation over coffee. Like, how bad could it be? It was at Starbucks. Come on. No, it was grumbling and arguing. I was stating a case that I was very upset about where I should have been humble and a servant. Yes, there were some things to work on, but how you state it and how you say it and who you say it to is radically different than this. That was my Wednesday. <laughs> Things got better. We have a gracious God who, when we come to him and we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so he did. And then being the good God that he is, he said, hey, you'll get more opportunity because I know where you work. <laughs> Change my address. <laughs> Jesus would say it this way. On the night that he was betrayed, right, don't you think that would be the case to argue and grumble? On the night he was betrayed, he said this. He gave this command. This new command I give to you is you would love one another. And loving one another is based in humility and has the purpose of unity. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. If you have any idea of what I'm talking about or what it looks like, he's saying here, examine what I've done with you in the last three years and go do likewise. In case you needed me to understand, you to understand the case for the application. 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Because our lives are on display. And I wonder when Paul was writing this, did he, did he have that teaching of Jesus this night in his mind? When he penned those words, do everything without grumbling and arguing. Or was he thinking about, right, his, his heritage? Different from the Gentiles, but the Jews in the desert who blew it. And didn't live out the call that God had in their lives because they would rather argue and grumble and complain about the menu. And haven't we been here before? Now, are we almost there yet? Hopefully you're not asking that about the sermon right now. <laughs> right? Why? So that we would become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like stars in the sky. Right, so he continues his teaching and his clarity on this. And the, the reason, again, that he's calling them to a proper behavior is so that they would be blameless and pure. Because our lives will eventually, if they haven't been already or we haven't figured it out, our lives are a sacrifice. And just like the sacrifices in the Old Testament that required blameless and, and, and clean elements to be put on the altar, unblemished, it's the language Paul might be thinking about when he writes to the church in Rome, that, that you, your lives are living sacrifice. We're to be blameless and pure. We're to be able to present ourselves as a living sacrifice acceptable to God. And we do this in the backdrop of being children of God in a crooked and depraved generation or a warped and crooked generation. Right? We're not to emulate and to look like the society around us that still does not understand salvation. Our call is to emulate and to work out the salvation that we know in truth that looks radically different from the ways of our society. Because then and only then will we shine like stars. And so Paul's writing that. There's encouragement there. Hey, look, you're children of God. We are children of God. We take on that family value, and it's not like those people around us who are not yet adopted into the family of God. Right? That then as we grow in that and we continue to work that out, that who we are and that character that God's building in us will hopefully come out just because it's an overflow of who we are. And as I was thinking about this, a couple different stories came to my mind. One was um, in my, my sophomore year was probably one of my worst years of life. Um, it was just a very dark time. Um, it also was my first year of playing organized football at high school. I guess that means I was playing disorganized football every day at the park, getting my hiney whooped by people who tackled me. But, but that first year in sophomore, right, I, I got playing time. I wasn't a starter, but I was playing. I, was, I thought I was doing all right. And then you get up there for the awards night, right? And then Coach Greg is calling out people like, hey, you know, Joe coming up. Like, oh, he was an you know, outstanding receiver. And, you know, Joe and Jack or whatever, and, you know, running back and quarterback. And then Tim, like, what's he going to say about me? So he calls me up and he's like, Tim. Tim has the most outstanding character of anybody on the team. And I remember standing there as a 16-year-old. I'm like, character? Like, what do you mean? 
I made tackles. I, I did things on a football field. Like, what do you mean character? I'm like, ridiculous. Like, I couldn't sit down fast enough, right? And then later on in life, I'm like, hey, that's pretty cool. But in the moment, I'm like, what? Why? Because what was being built into me was coming out. Though I would have loved to have been called out for my football skills, <laughs> I have no idea why Coach Greg just saw fit. Then he went back to everybody else and talked about their stats and whatever. I'm like, how do you measure? I'm like, character. Oh. I did better the next two years. In fact, by my senior year, the one new coach we had, like, he thought I was a junior. He's like, I can't wait to have you again as my starter again next year. I'm like, dude, I'm in college next year. I'm out of here. He's like, oh, bummer. I'm like, yeah, why don't you announce that at the presentation night, right? So, but, right, but what is built in us, what God is doing in us should come out naturally as who we are. When I worked at HP, I, there was this team that I was a part of for uh, f- several years, and so they knew me. They knew what I stood for. They knew, they knew who I was. And uh, one guy, um, Mike, I traveled with him quite often. And we traveled like 50% of the time. And we were in Chicago one time, and we were um, uh, in this uh, pizza place having some incredible deep dish Chicago-style pizza. And then we were done. We got out of there, and we walked across the street to Wrigley Field because, wow, the Giants were in town. Imagine that. I knew. So we were there. And I remember we were discussing something, and I forget the details, but, but my friend Mike said, hey, he goes, you know, one thing I've noticed about you, that whenever something happens or there's a, there's a hiccup or something going on, you always land on your feet. And I'm like, yeah, Mike, you know what that means is, you know, and I, and I sh- share the gospel with him. I'm like, it's not me. <laughs> Trust me. It, it's God working in my life that I can still stand. And he knew, he knew, because he'd seen that. He had spent weeks on end for years traveling with me. He saw who I was. But he saw who I was because God was working in me so I could work that out to reflect him and not the society around us. And so Paul writes that, that you may become blameless and pure, that you would show yourself as blameless and pure in a crooked and depraved generation, shining like stars. Peter would put it this way. When he wrote to the, um, the, to the churches in the, in the scattered area, he would write this, to live such good lives among the pagans, the unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits, right? So that what he's saying here is the same thing, that like they might accuse you of this and that, but they have no basis for that because your life does not line up with their accusations, right? Sound familiar? Kind of like with Jesus, right, on the night he was betrayed. Because we reflect him. We live by his standard. And that's what Paul was writing. And their purpose is to glorify God. Jesus would say it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. A town or city hidden on a, uh, built on a hill cannot be hidden. And neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they would see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. Right? That as God works in us, we work out that glory and that salvation for his glory and to show him off. And we share in the benefit. That that's how we live. And then Paul would continue in Philippians. As you hold firmly to the word of life. As you hold firmly to the word of life. 
Luckily, this didn't explode in the first service because I just grabbed this out of our storage bin back there. It's been sitting there for years. I had no idea this was going to work or blow up. So there's water up here somewhere. But I know the candle works. That came from my house. Right? But what he's saying is, as you hold on to the word of life, and that phrase means uh, two things. As you hold on to it, like a torchbearer, and as you hold it out. That as we hold on to and hold out the word of life, in a dark world, it shines. My little candle there, shining in the darkness. But this is what Paul is saying. You hold it out and you hold on to it. And it shines. It's the word of life. And people see it. And the hope is that they would come to know God as a result of that. And he says this, And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. And what he's saying here, he's talking about two different things, right? He's been working on behalf of the Philippians, but he doesn't want it to all come for nothing. And as I think about this, he uses two different illustrations. Paul, in several times, uses the metaphor of running. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he would talk about running in such a way and training in such a way that you don't get disqualified for the prize. And I think about that as a runner, right? I spend hours, hours training, eating right, doing all this work for the race. And I can't imagine like people in the Olympics or the elites that I, that I get trained by or some of these other people, to spend six months, two years training for a race and to get to the end of the race and be disqualified. It's not that they pull you out during the race. You get to the end and like, yeah, that was good. But you know what? You missed like one turn back there so like three hours ago. So, but sorry, but there's, you know, the buffet. You can go have something to eat. Like, oh, all for nothing. Nothing. Or Paul, like to labor in vain. He was a tent maker. Can you imagine he gets done building a tent and just, you know, kind of wondering maybe in the back of his mind about the, the supplies and material that he was given or that he bought, whatever, and he brings it to the market and as he's pulling it out, it rips and tears because it's been all that time working on this for nothing. When I was in, um, in college, I was taking a business ethics class, and, and kind of the weeks leading up to Thanksgiving, we had to, to write and turn in like, um, like a pretty significant paper, like 70% of the grade. And one of the, one of the topics was um, vaguely, um, you know, where do we get our values from and so forth. And so I took that, and as a believer, I gave them my ideas of where we get our values from, and I turned that in. And so the day before our Thanksgiving break, um, he's passing out all the papers back. And he said, oh, and, and can Tim Ruiz come up and see me afterwards? I'm like, huh, huh. So I walk up there afterwards. And he's like, so here's the deal. Um, I read what you wrote. I didn't grade it. And you have a choice. Um, if you want to submit this, I will grade it. Um, but this doesn't really apply to a business ethics class. This would go well in, in a religion class. Um, so you can either, A, keep submitting it and deal with the grade, or you can then spend your Thanksgiving weekend and rewrite the whole thing. And so I'm like, ah. I mean, at the time, I think my parents were still, still giving me a dollar for every A. <laughs> so I'm like, I need that buck, because, you know, Starbucks doesn't even exist yet. Um, but I'm like, ah. So I, I, I rewrote it over Thanksgiving, having spent the previous week, writing it in vain. 
Today, I, I wish I would have just said, hey, yeah, you know what? Let it ride. I'm going on vacation. Um, but I didn't. But it's, what's Paul's talking about here? That we didn't live our lives, we didn't run in vain. And it may require sacrifice. And it may require suffering. So he goes on. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Right? Paul, Paul examines what he's been doing. He's like, I, I know you're, you're doing it well. And here's this corrective thing that I, I trust you're going to get right. But I would still labor for you as a sacrifice to God so that you can know him. And I would do it joyfully. Not begrudgingly, not, eh, it was my duty, I'm just a servant. But Paul says, I would do that with joy and sharing in your joy. That joy is to be the undertone of how we live humbly and we live in unity with each other. But Because by, by doing that, the chances of us having these arguments and these grumbling and all these things taking place begin to diminish greatly. But sometimes it's a sacrifice. And sometimes it takes that sacrifice to live this out. And then Paul ends with this. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Like Paul knows now that they're, they're starting to feel some of the heat that he feels. They're starting to suffer for their faith. They might not be in jail or in jail yet or facing being, becoming a martyr, but they're starting to feel the heat, which might be why sometimes in that, in that uh, process of, of cleansing, in this process of refining, maybe some of those sins are starting to come out because the heat's going up. And Paul says, hey, look, Rejoice with me. You obeyed me when I was there. You've obeyed me greatly since I've been gone. There is this issue. You can work it out. And here's the example of how to. And that's his message for us today in the scripture. That we may, we may have, we may be grumblers and arguers. The challenge is for us to put it into it now and we have a gracious God who forgives. And what a witness is that when you humble yourself and ask others to forgive you, and whether other people see it or not, but when that person or that sphere of influence hears it and sees it, and they know it's genuine, then that shares that, that glory to God. That speaks that volume. And we work that out of us as a community. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of this day. Lord, I thank you for the times you and I got to spend alone with this this week. And I thank you that you walk with me and you walk with us through good times and bad times. And God, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, what the Apostle John would write in 1 John that uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. And if we do sin, we have one who is an advocate who stands before the throne room of God, defending us and speaking on our behalf. It's Jesus.
your grace so amazing. The truth of your gospel, not just saving us for the future, but justifying and, and making us righteous today. And we still blow it. But I pray that you, Holy Spirit, you walk with us as we humble ourselves. Walk with us as we seek unity at all costs. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.